This episode was recorded during the dual WGA and SAG After Strike. As fans and content creators, we stand in solidarity with the creatives currently on strike. There is power in a union. I'm JP Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki. Hi, Tuesday. In 1979, Lucasfilm created a computer division. It was known as Graphics Group before changing its name to Pixar when it was eventually sold to Steve Jobs. And then they started selling computers and say, hey, we need a better way to start selling our computers. Uh, Let's show how powerful our computers are by making cartoons on them. And then they started making shorts and the shorts were popular and then, like, a bunch of businesses wanted Pixar to make commercials for them using their computers. And then Disney was like, we want in on that. And then Disney started making Pixar movies and stuff. And here we are. So, yeah, we are going back to the beginning of Pixar. The purpose of these original Pixar shorts were not really to be to show off animation, but just to show off how powerful their computers were look what our computers can do don't you want to buy our computers and put them in your office or home or other place of business who knew that that computer company would turn around and become like one of the top animation studios in the world it is a very circuitous route i will admit yeah and The fact that they started as part of Lucasfilm and a lot of their early stuff is credited to Lucasfilm and we'll get there in a minute is. is very interesting, considering that Disney now owns both Lucasfilm and Pixar. Disney owns us all. Disney owns your soul. Yep. All right. So let's get into the Pixar, the early, early, early. Um. You want to throw another early in there? Yeah. (laughs) The very early Pixar shorts. We're going to start with 1984's The Adventures of Andre and Wally B. This was not watching this on. This is not even credited to Pixar. Like, yes, it says Pixar's The Adventures of Andre and Wally B on, on Disney Plus. But going into it, it just says graphics group, a division of Lucasfilm. Which is very interesting, which, again, if you don't know the history of Pixar, would be kind of a shocker. But, yeah, this is before they were even called Pixar. Very basic cartoon. It's one minute, so it's not much to to talk about. It's this very uh, PS1 would be generous forest with this guy Andre laying in there taking a nap in the forest before he is woken up by Wally the bee who wants to sting him and Andre is running and Wally is chasing him and eventually stings him and then walks away or flies away with his stinger crooked happy with himself 
before Andre gets the last laugh, throwing his hat at Wally and knocking him out. It's one minute. There's not a lot going on here. But for a 1984, 1984 computer to produce this kind of cartoon, like no other major studio was doing anything like this at the time, especially Disney. They were still doing the hand-drawn animation at the time. But to go back to this, the first Pixar short, and see, you can kind of see the building blocks of what this would become. This basic animation, basic shapes, no voice acting, just... You can kind of, you know, you can see the beginnings of something here. Yeah, I mean, there's there's kind of some some basic sound effects and stuff put to it. Um, Ben Burt did the sound design. And that's a name that's going to, you know, perk your ears up if you know anything about Hollywood. And especially Lucasfilm. Looking at it now, like if you were to show it to somebody out of context and just be like, oh, look at this. They're like, yeah, whatever. I see better than that on YouTube. However, understanding the context of it, you're like, okay, this is really groundbreaking for the time. This is, of course, you know, pre-Flash tools. This is... You know, they had to create all this software themselves. Mm-hmm. And it is extraordinarily impressive if you understand where the technology was at the time. So while it is not necessarily a a thing to look at and go like, wow, this has great depth of character or plot or whatever. It is kind of the, our generation's version of looking at like train pulling into a station or whatever, Mm. you know, it's, you look at it and looking at it today we look at that and we go like, okay, what's this like 20 second clip of a train pulling into a station. And then somebody tells you like, this is literally one of the first things ever captured with a film camera. And you go like, Oh, I now understand the context of this. Mm -hmm. It's that really, this is one of the first things ever created with computer graphics. And who knows how many hours in 1984 time on a 1984 computer it would have took to make that one minute of animation. So, I mean, it, this is one of those things like I I highly recommend people watch it, but don't watch it because you're expecting storyline or you know, great music or dialogue or something. Understand that you are watching a piece of cinema history. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Disney would start working with Pixar's computers not long after that 
to help with their animated movies. A lot of the CG in the Renaissance era of the Disney of Disney animation was, I'm pretty sure, was done on these Pixar computers. I'm pretty sure this is where we eventually got the ballroom scene in Beauty and the Beast from. Mm. And that's how it started. So while the cartoon is nothing to write home about from a historical aspect, from historical context, computer animation where it is now would not exist without the adventures of Andre and Wally B. Going into the next one, um, Disney Plus has this listed as being released in 1999, but Luxo Jr. was released, the next one was the next released in 1986. Which, yeah, I don't know why this is listed as 1999 on, on Disney. The only thing I can think of is that this probably was not released commercially until like Toy Story came out and they could release this like like with Toy Story. Yeah, honestly, I had always heard about Luxo Jr. being a thing that they did and I saw clips of it in things about like the history of Pixar and all in connection to Toy Story, but I never actually saw Luxo Jr. as a full short until much later. So I think this was one of those in-house projects that they did as a look at what we can do. And it was never actually released. I mean, Luxo is let's 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 kind of band it up. Luxo is a brand of lamps. That is where the desk lamp come. It is a Luxo brand lamp. So it's probably a situation where they would have to get permission from the Luxo company to even release this cartoon. And there's still issues with the Luxo brand and Pixar to this day since they decided to make the lamp their mascot. I think it's one of the reasons why Pixar chooses to use the little bouncy ball image more than the lamp. Hmm. Because the little bouncy ball, I do not think, is anybody's actual property. I think they made it for the short as far as the pattern. But if you watch, watch any Pixar movie, it's always this little Luxo lamp shaking its little butt and jumping. And it's the same sound effects from this short, which I had forgotten about. That little squeaky so- the little squeaky noises that the Luxo lamp, Luxo Jr. does in every Pixar intro is the direct same sound effects from this short. And, you know, Luxo and his little Luxo Jr. plays with this ball. And then we get the famous jump onto the ball. And like Luxo Jr. does in the Pixar intro, jumping on the letter I and crushes it. 
just like he crushed. Although the the ball slowly deflates rather than the eye getting crushed. So like like again, no dialogue, all sound effects. And little Luxo is very saddened that his ball has been crushed. But he does not learn his lesson and gets a bigger ball to play with, much to the chagrin of Luxo Sr. Two-minute cartoon, so there's not a lot here. But again, this is still early Pixar, only two years after Andre and Wally B. And already you can see that there's a lot of advancement in their computers and how they they can animate with them. Uh, granted, there's no background other than a wood floor and a wall socket. So they don't have to deal with with backgrounds or anything like that. And the only light in the short is coming from the two lamps. But there's definite there's a definite improvement between the two shorts. And maybe that's on the fact that they're using inanimate objects rather than trying to make a, a, a humanoid figure. I don't know. I will say that one of the things that was so shocking to me, because it's been a while since I had seen this and Mm -hmm. I had forgotten a lot of the detail. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that really shocked me was how clear it was because there's a point at the end where like you said uh junior brings in a larger ball and rolls it past to go off and play and senior kind of looks at the audience and gives this very interesting look of like kids am i right and Here we go weird, again. Yeah, and the weird thing is, is that there is no dialogue, and it is a desk lamp without a face. They do not give this any sort of facial features. They do not manipulate the lamp in any sort of way that would give it any sort of facial features. It is it moves in only the way a desk lamp can move that particular type of desk lamp. You could remake this entire thing stop motion with real objects. Mm -hmm. Okay, they do not do anything you could not do with a physical object. And yet. Somehow they get emotion out of these objects that make you understand conversation, communication, emotion in a way that is shocking. And I just sat there thinking, like, wow, the Pixar thing of what if blank had emotions started super duper early. Started here. Yeah. Yeah, because this is immediately like, what if desk lamps had emotions? Because you have a parent-child relationship. You have... A desk lamp being like 
happy, playful, disappointed, exasperated with a child. Like, there are so many weird emotions, and you're like, why am I feeling this for a desk lamp in, like, a two- to three-minute short with zero dialogue? And they've not given it, like, a cartoony face or any manipulation of the physical, you know, they haven't given it like arms or hands or anything, you know? Mm -hmm. And it had been so long since I had seen it that I had forgotten that that's all it is. Yeah. With no dialogue and just, like I said, the, there's no exaggerated movement, no squash and stretch. It's just these lamps do not move any different than you would with an actual desk lamp. And they were able to tell this two-minute story of a father and son as lamps. And I do like during the, the credits of the short, they show you the entire animation process from wireframe to finished product. I I did like that as well. Okay, I'm I, I have the credits here and I, I have to laugh at this. So this short was was made using two Pixar computers that they named Mickey and Donald. Oh, cute. Man, they they were already shooting for the moon right er, bright and early. They were shooting for that partnership. <laughs> Uh, please notice us, Senpai. Please notice us. Wait, don't buy us out, Senpai. Wait, hold on, hold on. You noticed us too much, Senpai. <laughs> notice us less. Notice us less. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, like you said, this What If Blank Had Feelings started in 1986 with Luxo Jr. And... That is amazing that they've been doing it for that long and that formula has been around for so long and somehow still works. Pixar was only ever going one direction, y'all. Yep. <laughs> Speaking of, that leads us to one year later in 1987, Red's Dream. What if a unicycle had feelings? Yeah, I'm I'm a little I'm a little mad at this one because it made me watch a clown. Uh, I I'm more disturbed about the next one, but we'll get that get there when we get to the next one. So yeah, Red's dream is takes place in a bicycle shop where a small red unicycle on the clearance aisle has a dream of being in the circus. And we go into the into the bike's dream, and he's just he wants to be the star of the show. He wants not only does he want to be the star of the show, he wants to steal the show. And yeah, this is a point where Pixar computers can make objects look amazing, but they really haven't figured out how to make humanoid forms look in any way decent like this clown that's riding the unicycle is the stuff of nightmares if you had a fear of clowns this cartoon is not going to help you 
Yeah, if you have a fear of clowns, straight up do not watch this. I'm just going to give you a trigger warning. Because this is some, like, Stephen King-level stuff right here. Um, If you're like me and you think the only good clown is a not-existent clown, then this is just really annoying and you don't want to watch it. Um, But, yeah, it's like... mm, Nah, do do not do not want. But I do respect the unicycle. That the entire point of the dream is that it wants to cl- kick the clown to the curb and just take over the show. Which mad respect to uh, Red the unicycle here. So yeah, in his dream, the clown is trying a juggling act, and it's not working because he's constantly dropping the balls which Red is constantly kicking back up with his pedals back into his hands to keep the juggling act going before Red decides, I'm going to do this myself, and just removes himself from the bottom of the clown. And we get more of that floating around until you look down logic as the clown is still pedaling, still floating in the air, thinking he's still on the unicycle, before he realizes he's not on the unicycle anymore. It, it it works again. It, it, I wouldn't say it's easier, but the animate you re you, you know using the animation of the clown on the unicycle just take away the unicycle. I'm not saying it's easy, but I can see where they get the idea from. But ultimately, the 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 dream ends with Red the unicycle doing the juggling act, much to the delight of the crowd, and he takes a bow. And he enjoys his moment in the spotlight, only to realize that he's still in the bike shop, bowing to no one. And he's still on the clearance rack. And his he may never accomplish the dream of being a star. His circumstances has landed him stuck in this place where possibly no one will pick him up. A rare, sad ending to a Pixar story. But uh, a realistic one, unfortunately. Some people never achieve their dreams. Yeah, I mean... I feel you, Red. Yeah. But you know what? Kick that clown to the curb. And I, I do... also feel that. Yeah. but Down I... with clowns. Down <laughs> with clowns. I do like how, you know, the, the way the way the red is animated, how he just goes lifeless as if he's just given up. Like he just straight he gets he gets all sad, rolling back to his corner in the clearance aisle, straightened backs up, knocks his head into the wall and just clumps there on the wall. Like I said, a very a rare a rare sad ending to a Pixar short. And this is only the third one. Well, I don't think they were making things specifically for kids at the time. They were not. Again, these were not meant to be Disney level animated shorts. These were glorified tech demonstrations to sell their computers. And it just happened to be that the companies they were trying to sell to didn't necessarily 
want the computers, but they wanted Pixar to animate commercials for them because they saw what these computers could do. Yeah, I mean, just on a side note, I kind of wish more kids things would like end like this. Because it is more realistic, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, we've talked before about that that Marge Simpson thing. Mm-hmm. You know, where... I forget the exact quote, but it's all like, you know, aim low, kids. Aim so low that nobody cares when you fail. Like, I, I kind of... I like, where where's that Disney message, you know? Like, the world might be a healthier place if that was the Disney message. Go after your dream, kids. If you wish upon a star, your dreams come true. Yeah. How many generations were ruined based on that? Well, it's been about a hundred years now, so... Yeah. So, um, but yeah, again, it's it's... The fact that these early, sh- you know, going back, the fact that these original shorts are show off what these, what their computers can do, and you know, I, I, I you know, I keep saying it. These were tech demos. These were not really meant to be shorts. And 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 the fact that rather than, like I said, not rather than selling computers, they became make commercials for our product. And they kind of become an animation studio because of it. It, Well, the thing is, is that in in Luxo Jr. and Red's Dream, you can really see the talent for making animation as an art form. In the Pixar team, because, you know, with Wally B and and stuff like that, they've got the the thing of, well, here's technology, but we didn't really put any more of a story to it than just... Like the the most bare minimum. Hmm. Like, what if there's a guy and a bee, and the bee stings the guy? Like, it's it's the most minimum thing you can do, just to be like, look, we animated a thing. You know. Hmm. Um, I one time did stop motion animation for a project in high school. And it only had to be about a minute or two long. And basically that was the level of storyline that I put into mind. Mm-hmm. Because that was about the, the level of skill that I had. And mostly it was showing I knew how to do the technical end of it rather than the, you know, artistic end. Um, so they were showing they, in those, the early 
you know, kind of Wally B short, like, okay, here we go. We've got the technical side of it by a computer. Um, something happened with Luxo Jr. and Red Stream where they put a little more effort into the artistic end of it. They're still pushing the technology, but somebody decided we want to put a storyline in there. We want to do something a little more artsy. Mm-hmm. While I would say watch Andre and Wally just to see a piece of cinema history, I do kind of like both Lux- Luxo and Red as pieces of art. I mean, creepy clown notwithstanding, I kind of like the story of both of them. Yeah, simplistic stories and showing that they could show a lot of story and a lot of emotion in such a short time with what they had, with with the technology they had at the time. Again, we're still in the 1980s. So, yeah, it's impressive. And honestly, those two cartoons still hold up, amazingly enough. Again, creepy clown notwithstanding. Speaking of creepy... From creepy clown to creepy baby. Let's get to uh, 1988's Tin Toy. Now, I am going to say legit trigger warning on this one. Tin Toy will give you absolute freaking nightmares. Red's Dream might give you nightmares if you actually have a a serious fear of clowns and I don't, I don't want to like make fun of that. That's a real thing. Tin toy will just give you nightmares. If you are a human being like, as I said, Pixar has not perfected and would not perfect for a very long time, human looks or human movements. And you can see it all of the wrong in how this baby is animated, both how he looks and how he, I don't even know if it's a he, this baby, like the looks of this baby and the crawling animation of this baby. I, I think that my first reaction was kill it, kill it with fire, kill it now, kill it, kill it, kill it, kill it. Which is not a reaction you want to have to anything that looks like a human baby. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why Pixar took so long to do humans in their their movies. But really, you can kind of see, because Tin Toy was the inspiration for Toy Story. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You can immediately see, oh, I know where we got Toy Story now. I mean, Toy Story started as a sequel to this as a Christmas special. Pixar took, I mean, Tin Toy would win the Academy Award for Best Animated Short Film that year. And they wanted to ride that popularity by turning this into a Christmas special. And then it became Toy Story. And and eventually, Tin Tinny, the Tin Toy here, would get into one of the films. I believe he's in Toy Story 4. So, like, he would eventually get to see the the 
the product of his of his inspiration. But here you can see the 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 precursor to Toy Story with toys being a living creatures. Especially toys being living creatures scared of a baby. Yeah, I mean, this one doesn't so much have, like, a deep storyline. It's just kind of the Tin Soldier toy is bored. The baby wants to play. The baby plays too rough. The soldier gets scared. And then the baby ends up playing with, like, a packaging bag instead. The the end. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's usually how kids are. They, you know, you give them the toy and they want to play with the box. But the idea of this tin toy trying to sneak away from the baby and then as the toy is sneaking away, its play function starts, which is him. It's a one man band. It's playing an accordion. It's his legs Drums are and yeah, it's xylophones and horns and a cymbal. So as this tin toy is starting to walk, it's activating its play function, which gets the baby chasing it. Until the tin toy decides to hide behind, hide under the couch and sees all of the other toys hiding there, too. Yeah, you can see the inspiration for Sid from Toy Story. You can see the inspiration for, like, various other bits of Toy Story in this. The only problem is, is that this thing is so creepy because of the baby. The toys look excellent. Everything in here that is a typically inanimate object in our world, gorgeous looking for 1988. I mean, there are all kinds of toys that you probably remember playing with as a kid and they are beautifully rendered you would not believe this is 1988 technology the first few like 45 seconds of this film looks great and then that baby comes in and the rest of it is a waking nightmare that you cannot escape And we talked about it in Toy Story that every time the the humans came on, it was like, yeah, you know, Mm -hmm. that the toys looked fine. And you were like, oh, wow, I can't believe that this was, you know, this this still holds up, even though it's old computer animation. And then any time a human walks on screen you're like no 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 do not want you know you're not there yet pixar yeah so you can understand why all of their early movies were you know toys and cars and fish and bugs and bugs 
And I mean, it wasn't until like what finding Nemo that they actually started to get humans a little bit right. And Mm -hmm. we barely see humans in that movie. Like we see like one kid or something. And I think it wouldn't be until what inside out that you actually have like fully rendered humans or was it Incredibles? Incredibles. Yeah. But even in Incredibles, they didn't try to do realistic looking humans. They tried to do like, Very exaggerated comic book. Like the proportions of the humans in Incredibles are not human proportions. You know? Mm -hmm. Like certain, certain human characters have very elongated faces. You know, other characters have very exaggerated body proportions and stuff, you know? So, and and even in Wally, even in Wally, they're all exaggerated, you know, plus size people. The only with most of the, 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 the normal looking humans being live action video, live action movie clips and stuff. Even, I mean, I would even say up as also has that exaggerated proportions. Yeah, because they they make them look a little boxier Mm -hmm. in in that. I would say Brave will be the first time they ever actually try to have proportionally, uh, correctly proportionally looking people. And that's pretty much just Merida. Yeah. So honestly, I really do think it was Inside Out that they tried to have like, quote-unquote realistic-looking humans that weren't, like, super exaggerated, you know? hmm And that's, like, a very long time into Pixar before they... About 20 years? No, no, that was with it. This is 88, and Inside Out is 2015, so about 30 years almost. Yeah. So yeah, about thirty years till they finally figured out that how how humans were supposed to be animated to get it right. Which is really strange because even though you can talk about, you know proportions in hand drawn Disney animation and stuff, you know, Hand-drawn animation, whether or not you're talking about Disney or not, you can get some very realistic-looking humans in hand-drawn animation. Mm -hmm. So the fact that it's taken computer animation a much longer time to get there. And even with Disney doing CG animation, they're just taking the, the style of their 2D characters and just putting it into 3D space. Yeah. So it's not much of what's, you know, not much there. So the final pre-Toy Story Pixar short we're going to be taking a look at is Knick Knack. Now that came out in 1989, 
But the version on Disney Plus is not the version from 1989. This is a reanimated version from 2003 that came out with Finding Nemo. Why did Pixar decide to reanimate that short and release it with a movie versus just releasing the original version? So, yeah, this... Can, can I say why? Go ahead. Boobies! Boobies, yes, boobies. The The short is about knickknacks, little souvenirs that you would get in an airport or something or a gift shop while going on vacation. And obviously the person who owns these things has been to many, many different places. And it, and one of the knickknacks is for Miami, which in the original version features a very busty woman in a bikini for the reanimated 2003 version. They, got rid of the boobies well they didn't get rid of the boobies they just made the boobies more you know realistic it's yeah i mean it's i mean it's kind of a flat plastic look versus enormous boobs well the the original animation which is available on youtube we watched both versions um the original animation has the figure, which looks kind of like an off-brand Barbie. And her breasts basically look like somebody stuck two disconnected beach balls on her chest. It looks like somebody went, you know, like, uh, women have breasts, but you've never seen a woman, so imagine what that would be like. There's some very lonely men in the Pixar animation studio, I reckon. Yeah, but it's like, if you've ever seen a woman, you know this, this, this is not what breasticles look like, okay? I mean, can, maybe they've watched certain types of films where women have very enlarged breasts. No, no, that's 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 certain types of anime. That's that's not that's not even like the the types of films you're thinking of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, literally, that's what it, that's what it looks like. It looks like an off-brand Barbie with like two small beach balls, you know, shoved on it. But so when they redid it, it's not even that it's like flat. It's just. It looks like proportional proportional to the size of the figurine, you know. Um, but if you compare the two, you're like, it looks flat. It's like, well, no, it just kind of looks like what a woman that size would probably look like, you know. Mm, um, but anyway, so our main character is a little snowman in a snow globe called Nick. And I do like the pun of the snow globe saying Gnome Sweet Gnome Alaska. Yeah, that is very cute. Shout out to everybody I know who lives in Alaska. Yeah. And he's kind of uh, Nick here. He's very angry because he's stuck in his little his little snow globe. He can't get out. And all of the other knickknacks 
are looking like they're having some kind of party. They're all together. They're all dancing to music. Music made by the legendary Bobby McFerrin. Gotta make that note there. Yeah, that is probably the most awesome thing about this particular short, is that the music is done by Bobby McFerrin. Absolute legend. But the thing is, is that all of the other knickknacks are from warm areas it's like miami jamaica egypt yeah and every single one of them says sunny and then whatever the place is and then it pans over and there's the one snow man in the snow globe so he is the one that is you know by himself isolated from everybody else even this doesn't seem to deter the knickknacks as the as the bikini girl looks over at Nick and says, you know, there's no dialogue here, but the, the little bikini girl looks over at Nick and kind of tells him to come and join their party. Like he po- she points at him, she kind of does the one finger come here. So it looks like she's kind of into Nick. Yeah. He's kind of well, into. He's a cute little snowman. He's kind of into the guy. Come on, join us. Yeah. Join us and have join us with our little party. And obviously, you know, he is completely, you know, a a, a little attractive little plastic girl wants to have his wants to have his little snowman join their little party and. She wants to build a snowman. Come on. <laughs> yeah, so he's like all into it, and we go full Looney Tunes because he wants to break out of that snow globe and like i read up on this cartoon and like they were like the point of this cartoon was to be as funny as possible it doesn't matter if it made sense if it's funny it's going in so he starts first he takes this little paper paper igloo and starts ramming it against the glass and it doesn't break he gets a hammer and tries to use his carrot nose to try to bust through it like a nail then we get to the ridiculous because he grabs a jackhammer, he grabs a blowtorch, he grabs dynamite. Where has he been hiding this stuff? Who cares? It's a cartoon. They go full cartoon with this. Full Looney Tunes. And the sad thing is, the more he tries and fails to get out of the out of the uh, snow globe, the less interested she starts getting into him. Which is kind of sad, because he eventually she stops looking at him and just looks at her own hand. It's like, come on, girl, he is trying. He is trying. Also, he's resourceful and is apparently like got some kind of like prepper uh kit in there. Because where is he getting all that stuff? Cartoon logic, hammer space. Just pull it from the back of your, pull it out from the back. Anime logic. Well, no, I'm saying like, you know, it's it's something, it's something going for him, you know. Yeah. And but uh, after using the dynamite to explode the the snow globe, and what the hell is this snow globe made out of? That all this stuff doesn't break it. It's made out of transparent aluminum. <laughs> But uh, he, all of his efforts to try to break out of his snow globe has knocked him off the shelf. And he is he's about to crash onto the floor below before he realizes 
there is an exit in the bottom of the snow globe, which if you go back to watch it a second time, you can actually see the doorknob from the beginning of the cartoon. Like he's walking over something metal and you never notice it until you see that it's a doorknob. It's just the door is covered by the snow. Yeah, I was sitting there watching it and I'm like, why doesn't he use the the pull exit that's at the bottom of the thing there? Because there was like a little golden doorknob there from the beginning of the thing. And I'm like, dude, use the doorknob. Use the doorknob. Use the doorknob, dude. I mean, it wouldn't have been funny if he just used a doorknob from the beginning. But he finally sees a doorknob as the as he's falling, as the snow globe is falling off the shelf. He escapes. He is happy. He is free. And he falls into a fish tank. Which I liked. But salvation, he may be in the fish tank, but there is a hot mermaid chick in the fish tank and she seems into it. (laughs) This is another one that got reanimated because in the original cartoon, she also had large breasts, but the breasts were covered by two starfish. Very small starfish. The reanimated version goes aerial little mermaid and gives her a seashell bra. And more realistic sized breasticles. Yes. And it says sunny Atlantis. So this person not only has traveled around the world, this person has traveled to Atlantis and Atlantis has a gift shop. But uh, yeah, the mermaid souvenir is also very much into the snowman waving to him and hey, he's going to go for it. And as he's going to her, the snow globe also lands in the fish tank and the emergency door closes behind him. And he is once again stuck in the snow globe. Womp womp. Cartoon ends. Can't win. Poor Nick. He just cannot win. He tried so hard. And got so far. But in the yeah. end, it doesn't even matter. Yeah. This was a fun one. Again, this was an attempt by Pixar just to make the funniest cartoon they could. And yeah, this actually was pretty funny. Uh, They would take a break from making shorts for a few years and just concentrate on making commercials. uh, Mostly because they had big ideas. Like I said, their original plan was to take the character from Tin Toy and make a Christmas special out of it and sell it to a network. And that eventually became Toy Story and got sold to Disney. Obviously, they needed money to make that happen, so they just used the money they made from making commercials for other for other companies and put that into Toy Story. And here we are, and that was and that's where it started. But for for Tin Toy, again, it's a nice little cute little cartoon. As a lo- I mean, you could tell there's a lot of Looney Tunes inspiration from the from this cartoon, and the fact that you have a a a a I wouldn't necessarily call it a sad ending, but it's a definitely a Looney Tunes ending where the protagonist, through his own luck, just doesn't win. 
like a Daffy Duck thing or something. Yeah. Yeah, this was straight up made to be a short. This one was straight up made to be, we are going to make the funniest cartoon we can. And for 1989, it's it works. Again, I understand why Disney would want this changed in 2003. Especially since this was going to be, this was the cartoon chosen to play in front of Finding Nemo. Where there will be children in the audience. So I, I, I fully understand that. Yeah, it's it's cute. It doesn't need any dialogue to let you understand the story. You know, it's all of the visual gags can be understood five and up, you know. So, I I think it was a good choice for that. Mm-hmm. The fact that this, this was, for lack of a better term, Pixar's real first attempt to make a straight cartoon. Like, they made this to be a cartoon, not as a tech demo or anything like that. Now, granted, it didn't get the longevity as, you know, Tin Toy, which would become um, Toy Story. But you can also see a little bit of Toy Story in here, where with the with the knickknacks coming to life. Yeah. And the fact that the Disney Plus version, or should I say, the version that was released with Finding Nemo, actually lists this as before Toy Story Pixar made this as as someone at Pixar or wanted to convey to the audience that this could be seen as a precursor or an inspiration to Toy Story. Because if you watch the version on Disney Plus, again, this is the reanimated from 2003 feature. Um, let me see if I can. Yeah, it says, you know, there's that screen that says in 1989, six years before Toy Story, Pixar Animation Studios made this short film. So they really are trying to tie this short into the history of Toy Story. Which you can you can there's an argument to be made in that because these are just ordinary souvenirs that you would see in a gift shop brought to life, much like Tin Toy was toys coming to life. And it really accentuate uh, really plays up with, you know, like you said, what if Blink had feelings? Is this this what if souvenirs had feelings? Yeah. So, I, uh, I really liked this little retrospective, mm-hmm. going back and looking at it. I also liked how early they started putting little bits of callbacks into their previous shorts. Mm-hmm. Like, we forgot to mention it, but in... Red's dream, there were callbacks to, um, there were callbacks to Andre and Wally because the clock on the wall is actually Andre, Hmm. if you look closely enough. And also, there's a callback to Luxo Jr. 
because the pattern on the floor in the circus is the same pattern that's on that infamous Pixar ball. Mm. And you can see other shout outs in various ones of their shorts that they call back to their previous shorts as they go forward. And that would play go into the movies where you would get references to the other movies or future movies. You know, the famous Pizza Planet truck is in almost every Pixar movie or, you know, every Pixar movie will have some some obscure character that that would come into the future. Like we, we talked when we talked about Monsters, Inc., one of Blue, one of Boo's dolls is Nemo, which hasn't which didn't come out at the time. I I love that they are so used to putting their own history or sometimes their own future, like you said, into the things that they're working on. Um, not only do I love Easter eggs, but I love that they remember where they came from. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and... It was really fun coming back to this, seeing where Pixar started, and you can you can definitely see the building blocks of what that studio would become. Imagine what the state of animation would be now if Pixar had just focused more on their computers versus deciding to go into animation, or if they had were just content in making commercials for other companies versus making shorts or movies yeah uh we might come back to this we might do some other shorts down the line but it was fun to come back and see these early shorts you can see i mean yeah they they had a long way to go in terms of making realistic people that that clown and baby are the stuff of nightmares yeah, watch those two at your own risk, depending on your ability to handle nightmare fuel. Yeah, but the rest, you know, it works again. And yeah, they, 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 um, most of these still hold up. Yeah, I mean, like, like we said, Andre and Wally B, watch that purely as you want to understand where Pixar got started. That is just for cinema history. But the other ones are very much, they are bits of art. Yeah. Yeah. So Kiki, let's ask the question, do these older Pixar shorts have the magic? I mean, see above uh, the, the first one, it's historical value. The rest artistic, except for the the clown and the baby nightmare fuel. Tread at your own risk. I would agree. Again, like I said, Andre and Wally. It's not something that holds up, but from the historic value of it being Pixar's first short, yeah, that's fine. But everything else, a lot of the a lot of what would come from Pixar. Yes, the Pixar formula starting that early is 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 worth going back and seeing its beginnings. And yeah, clown and baby notwithstanding. It definitely has the magic. 
So we are going to move on next week, Kiki. It is our 200th episode. Can you believe it? Hey. We have been doing this for 199 consecutive weeks with no break. I am surprised either one of us still has sanity. Oh, I didn't start out with sanity. But, uh, sure, uh, I don't know if I still have mine, but, yeah. So, we are celebrating our 200th episode with The Muppet Show. We are finally getting into The Muppet Show, and uh, we will hopefully have some special guests, and we will all be talking about our favorite Muppet Show episodes if uh, you, dear listener, have a favorite Muppet Show episode, uh, leave it in uh, our comments on the socials, and uh, we'll talk more about that next week. It's time to meet the Muppets! Time to raise the curtain, time to light the lights, and it's time to celebrate 200 episodes next week, and we will talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversations on Facebook, Instagram, and threads at Rewatching the Magic. We are on the X, formerly known as Twitter, at Rewatch the Magic. And new episodes are available every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it. Podcasts are fun. But there's work to be done. We encourage you to get involved. Here are some organizations we support. The American Civil Liberties Union fights for the constitutional rights of all Americans. Find them at ACLU.org. The National Network of Abortion Funds helps people find access to safe abortion services. Their site is abortionfunds.org. The Trevor Project provides a 24-7 crisis helpline for LGBTQ youth and education services for schools on LGBTQ issues. They can be found at thetrevorproject.org. Or find a way to help in your area.